Section 19 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daniel Fraser. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 3. Section 19. Essay on the Avesta by A. V. Williams Jackson Avesta, or Zend Avesta, an interesting monument of antiquity, is the Bible of Zoroaster, the sacred book of ancient Iran, and holy scripture of the modern Parsis. The exact meaning of the name Avesta is not certain. It may perhaps signify law, text, or more doubtfully, wisdom, revelation. The modern familiar designation of the book as Zendavesta is not strictly accurate. If used at all, it should rather be Avesta Zend, like Bible and Commentary, as Zan signifies explanation commentary, and Avesta Zand is employed in some Persian allusions to the Zoroastrian scriptures as a designation denoting the text of the Avesta, accompanied by the Pallavi version or interpretation. The story of the recovery of the Avesta, or rather the discovery of the Avesta, by the enthusiastic young French scholar Anquetil du Perron, who was the first to open to the Western world the ancient records of Zoroastrianism, reads almost like a romance. Du Perron's own account of his departure for India in 1754, of his experiences with the Dastas or priests during a seven-year residence among them, of his various difficulties and annoyances, setbacks and successes, is entertainingly presented in the introductory volume of his work Zendavesta, Ouvrage de Zoroastre, three volumes, Paris, 1771. This was the first translation of the ancient Persian books published in a European language. Its appearance formed one of those epochs which are marked by an addition to the literary, religious, or philosophical wealth of our time. A new contribution was added to the riches of the West from the treasures of the East. The field thus thrown open, although worked imperfectly at first, has yielded abundant harvests to the hands of later gleaners. With the growth of our knowledge of the language of the sacred texts, we now have a clear idea also of the history of Zoroastrian literature, and of the changes and chances through which, with varying fortunes, the scriptures have passed. The original Zoroastrian Avesta, according to tradition, was in itself a literature of vast dimensions. Pliny, in his Natural History, speaks of two million verses of Zoroaster, to which may be added the Persian assertion that the original copy of the scriptures was written upon twelve thousand parchments, with gold-illuminated letters, and was deposited in the library at Persepolis. But what was the fate of this archetype? Parsi tradition has an answer. Alexander the Great, the accursed Iskander, as he is called, is responsible for its destruction. At the request of the beautiful Thais, as the story goes, he allowed the palace of Persepolis to be burned, and the precious treasure perished in the flames. Whatever view we may take of the different sides of this story, one thing cannot be denied. The invasion of Alexander, 
and the subjugation of Iran was indirectly or directly the cause of a certain religious decadence which followed upon the disruption of the Persian Empire and was answerable for the fact that a great part of the scriptures was forgotten or fell into disuse. Persian tradition lays at the doors of the Greeks the loss of another copy of the original ancient texts, but does not explain in what manner this happened, nor has it any account to give of copies of the prophet's works which Semitic writers say were translated into nearly a dozen different languages. One of these versions was perhaps Greek, for it is generally acknowledged that in the 4th century BC, the philosopher Theopompus spent much time in giving in his own tongue the contents of the sacred Magian books. Tradition is unanimous on one point at least. It is that the original of Esther comprised 21 nasks, or books, a statement which there is no good reason to doubt. The same tradition, which was acquainted with the general character of these nasks, professes also to tell exactly how many of them survived the inroad of Alexander. For although the sacred text itself was destroyed, its contents were lost only in part, the priests preserving large portions of the precious scriptures. These met with many vicissitudes in the five centuries that intervened between the conquest of Alexander and the great restoration of Zoroastrianism in the third century of our era, under the Sasanian dynasty. At this period, all obtainable Zoroastrian scriptures were collected, the compilation was codified, and a detailed notice made of the contents of each of the original nasks, compared with the portions then surviving. The original of Esther was, it would appear, a sort of encyclopedic work, not of religion alone, but of useful knowledge relating to law, to the arts, science, the professions, and to everyday life. If we may judge from the existing table of contents of these nasks, the zealous Sasanians, even in the time of the collecting, A.D. 226-380, were able to restore but a fragment of the archetype, perhaps a fourth part of the original of Esther, nor was this remnant destined to escape misfortune. The Mohammedan invasion in the 7th century of our era added a final and crushing blow. Much of the religion that might otherwise have been handed down to us, despite the accursed Iskander's conquest, now perished through the sword and the Quran. Its loss, we must remember, is in part compensated by the Pallavi religious literature of Sasanian days. Fragmentary and disjointed as are the remnants of the Avesta, we are fortunate in possessing even this moiety of the Bible of Zoroaster whose compass is about one-tenth that of our own sacred book. A grouping of the existing texts is here presented. 1. Yasna, including Gattas. 2. Visperad. 3. Yashts. 4. Minor texts. 5. Vendidad. 6. Fragments. Even these texts, no single manuscript in our time contains complete. The present collection is made by combining various Avestan codexes. In spite of the great antiquity of the literature, all the existing manuscripts are comparatively young. None is older than the 13th century of our own era, while the direct history of only one or two can be followed back to about the 10th century. This mere external circumstance has, of course, no bearing on the actual early age of the Zoroastrian scriptures.
it must be kept in mind that Zoroaster lived at least six centuries before the birth of Christ. Among the six divisions of our present Avesta, the Yasna, Visperad, and Vendidad are closely connected. They are employed in the daily ritual, and they are also accompanied by a version or interpretation in the Pallavi language, which serves at the same time as a sort of commentary. The three divisions are often found combined into a sort of prayer book called Vendidad Sadar, Vendidad Pure, i.e. a Vesta text without the Pallavi rendering. The chapters in this case are arranged with special reference to liturgical usage. Some idea of the character of the Avesta, as it now exists, may be derived from the following sketch of its contents, and from the illustrative selections presented. 1. Yasna, Sacrifice Worship, the chief liturgical work of the sacred canon. It consists mainly of ascriptions of praise and of prayer, and corresponds nearly to our idea of a prayer book. The Yasna comprises 72 chapters. These fall into three nearly equal parts. The middle or oldest part is the section of gatas below described. The meaning of the word Yasna, as above, gives at once some conception of the nature of the texts. The Yasna chapters were recited at the sacrifice, a sacrifice that consisted not in blood offerings, but in an offering of praise and thanksgiving, accompanied by ritual observances. The white-robed priest, girt with the sacred cord and wearing a veil, the petidana before his lips in the presence of the holy fire, begins the service by an invocation of Ahura Mazda, or Mazd, and the heavenly hierarchy. He then consecrates the Zeothra water, the Mayasda or oblation, and the Beresma or bundle of sacred twigs. He and his assistant now prepare the Halma, the soma of the Hindus, or juice of a sacred plant, the drinking of which formed part of the religious rite. At the ninth chapter of the book, the rhythmical chanting of the praises of Halma is begun. This deified being, a personification of the consecrated drink, is supposed to have appeared before the prophet himself, and to have described to him the blessings which the Halma bestows upon its pious worshipper. The lines are metrical, as in fact they commonly are in the older parts of the Avesta, and the rhythm somewhat recalls the Kalivala verse of Longfellow's Hiawatha. A specimen is here presented in translation. At the time of morning worship, Halma came to Zoroaster, who was serving at the fire and the holy psalms intoning. What man art thou, asked the prophet, who of all the world material art the fairest I have e'er seen in my life? bright and immortal. The image of the sacred plant responds, and bids the priest prepare the holy extract. Halma then to me gave answer. Halma righteous, death-destroying. Zoroaster, I am Halma, righteous Halma, death-destroying. Do thou gather me, Spatama, and prepare me as a potion. Praise me, I, as shall hereafter, in their praise, the saviours praise me. Zoroaster again inquires, wishing to know of the pious men of old who worshipped Halma, and obtained blessings for their religious zeal. Among these, as is learned from Halma, 
one was King Yima, whose reign was the time of the Golden Age. Those were the happy days when a father looked as young as his children. In the reign of princely Yima, heat there was not, cold there was not, neither age nor death existed, nor disease the work of demons. Son and father walked together, fifteen years old, each in figure, long as Vivangvat's son Yima, the good shepherd, ruled as sovereign. For two chapters more, Halma is extolled. Then follows the Avestan Creed, Yasna 12, a prose chapter that was repeated by those who joined in the early Zoroastrian faith, forsook the old marauding and nomadic habits that still characterize the modern Kurds, and adopted an agricultural habit of life, devoting themselves peaceably to cattle raising, irrigation, and cultivation of the fields. The greater part of the Yasna book is of a liturgic or ritualistic nature, and need not here be further described. Special mention, however, must be made of the middle section of the Yasna, which is constituted by the five gattas, hymns, psalms, a division containing the seventeen sacred psalms, sayings, sermons, or teachings of Zoroaster himself. These gattas form the oldest part of the entire canon of the Avesta. In them we see before our eyes the prophet of the new faith, speaking with the fervour of the psalmist of the Bible. In them we feel the thrill of ardour that characterises a new and struggling religious band. We are warmed by the burning zeal of the preacher of a church militant. Now, however, comes a cry of despondency, a moment of faint-heartedness at the present triumph of evil, at the success of the wicked and the misery of the righteous. But this gives way to a clarion burst of hopefulness, the trumpet note of a prophet filled with the promise of ultimate victory, the triumph of good over evil. The end of the world cannot be far away. The final overthrow of Ariman and Romanu by Ormazd, Ahuramazda, is assured. The establishment of a new order of things is certain. At the founding of this kingdom, the resurrection of the dead will take place, and the life eternal will be entered upon. The third gatta, Yasna 30, may be chosen by way of illustration. This is a sort of Mazdian Sermon on the Mount. Zoroaster preaches the doctrine of dualism, the warfare of good and evil in the world, and exhorts the faithful to choose a right and to combat Satan. The archangel's good thought, Vohumana, righteousness, Asha, kingdom, Kshatra, appear as the helpers of man, Maritan, for whose soul, as in the old English morality play, the demons, Devas, are contending. Allusions to the resurrection and final judgment, and to the new dispensation, are easily recognised in the spirited words of the prophet. A prose rendering of this metrical psalm is here attempted. The verse order, however, is preserved, though without rhythm. End of section 19 Recording by Daniel Fraser